Well, I want to begin, and, and you can go ahead if you have your Bible and open it to Luke chapter 10, but I want to begin by asking you, how many of you know what this is? Hmm? What is this? You see these in every church, correct? This is one from our history room. This is one our church used many decades ago when we were downtown, an offering plate. And churches pass them every Sunday. They, you know, they come in different shapes and sizes and so on, but most churches do this. And uh, you're going to see one, see these pass at the end of our service. But now let me ask you something else. What is this? An offering envelope. Many of you have these, and you use these when you give your tithe, your offerings to the church, and then the financial office keeps a record, and you get that for your tax, when you do your tax return and so on. All right? Now, what about this? What is this? Checkbook. Some of you young ones don't know because you've never had one. But, uh, you know, years ago, I remember I'd had to take a couple of hours Thursday evening every week to write checks and pay bills. Y'all know what that's like? Of course, I, I don't. I, I about don't write one or two checks a month now. You know, debit cards and online payments and all of that. But this represents our cash, our resources, what we have. Now, if you really want to get some people in a worship service at church squeamish, all you need to do is start talking about this stuff, right? Someone jokingly said that the most sensitive nerve in the human body is the one that's attached to the checkbook, the wallet, the purse. And there's a lot of truth in that. A lot of people out in the world, in the community, make jokes, criticize churches. All we want is money. And if a preacher preaches on money, some of you get real uneasy and a little bit queasy and uncomfortable right away. And here we go again, right? Well, what I want to do today is help you understand from a biblical perspective why those of us who love the Lord give and enjoy giving. While we love the Lord and what we love to give, and it just comes natural to us. But it's so much more than that. I want, to, I want to help you understand how our relationship with God impacts how we feel about all the other stuff that's a part of our life. And our love for God affects how we spend our money on these other things that are a part of our life. And none of these things are bad. They're all good. They're a part of life. They're a part of who we are. Most of us know that the average American, the single biggest investment you make in your lifetime is your house. And if you love the Lord, how you, how, how you feel about God can impact how you view your house and how you spend your money on your house, etc. But um, I want to help you understand that today in a way that will bless you and encourage you to uh, maybe look at life a little differently. Because the problem is... In the last several decades, a lot of people have become house poor because they're buying more house than they can actually afford. And our, our culture tends to encourage that. And for a number of years, lending institutions actually would give people more money, loan people more money than they could honestly afford to borrow. And so some people have been living for a long time house poor. And that impacts their ability to do other things they want to do, their ability to give to the Lord's work Etc. And then with the you know the housing crash recently, there are people, maybe some in this room, you owe more on your loan for your house than your house today is worth because your house is devalued. That's especially true in other parts of the world, more so than it is here in Rock Hill, but it's happened to some. We spend money on houses. You know what else we spend money on? 
transportation, cars, trucks. And, and some of you have never known what it feels like to not have a car payment because every three years you feel you have to trade up to a new one. And so you've spent your whole life with a car payment so you can have the latest and the newest and the baddest and the best, right? We spend money on all kinds of things. We spend money on our toys, all-terrain vehicles. Nothing wrong with an all-terrain vehicle. All kinds of toys, maybe a boat, maybe a truck. It could be anything you want, but we spend a lot of money on our toys. And one of the things I want you to understand today is that your relationship with God and how you feel about God impacts your cars, impacts your house, impacts how you feel about it, how you spend your money on your toys, your hobbies. Go Big Blue. Your kids. Whoops, come back here, Raphael. Your kids. Stephen loved Raphael. Your kids. We spend a lot of money on our kids. And some of you... Love your kids more than you love God, and the result is you never say no to your kids. And you make spending decisions because you, you never say no to your kids, and, and it impacts you financially. And, and, and what I want to say is that when you love the Lord your God, it impacts how you spend on your kids. Clothing. I'm getting ready to buy a whole bunch of new clothes. I'm giving a bunch of clothes away since I've lost a lot of weight. And uh, some of you have an addiction to the mall. Our relationship with God is about so much more than just an offering plate and offering envelopes. Our relationship with God affects how we view all the things that are a part of our life, all the good things. It impacts how we feel about them, how, what we do with them, how we spend our money on them. And so I want to help you understand that. And if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bible to Luke chapter 10. We've been looking at the first few verses of Romans 5 this month in a sermon series called Grace Changes Everything. And we learn that God's grace or love for us is so real that He sent Jesus to die on the cross. God's love is more than words. It's more than just an emotion or feeling. His love is seen in what He did in sending Jesus. And the truth is for all of us, Love is seen more in what we do than it is in what we say and what we feel. Actions speak louder when it comes to love. And so God said, I love you, and he sent Jesus. And then we, we looked two weeks ago at the fact that, that when we respond to that love of God, it changes our relationship with God. It changes our spiritual reality. And suddenly we're at peace with God and we're reconciled to God. We're forgiven. We're not on the outside anymore. We're on the inside. We have a relationship with God. And then last Sunday we looked at how when that happens, when you respond to God's love by committing your life to Jesus and you have peace with God and are reconciled to God, that the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And we looked at two verses in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, when it, when it says that we, this grace in which we stand, that once you become a believer and you respond to God's love, your reality is different in that you now stand, live every day in the middle of God's love. You stand in God's grace. You live in God's love. And then in verse 5, when he said the Holy Spirit who's been given to us, when the Holy Spirit came into us, that he, that he poured the love of God out in our lives and in our heart, that, that God's love was poured out generously, abundantly in our heart. And so when God's love is in your heart, it changes your heart. 
And, and it's going to look more like the heart of God. And so last Sunday we looked at, at the verses in the Bible that says, well, the heart of God, the heart of Jesus, the heart of the Holy Spirit is that he loves this world. He loves the people in this world. He loves lost people. And if we've responded to the love of God and his love is now filling us, it's going to change our hearts and therefore change how we view this world and our mission in it, how we see lost people and needy people. And it's going to change how a church responds to that. And it's going to change how you respond to that. Well, today I want to follow up but looking at how when the love of God is in your heart, it changes your heart not only in terms of how you see lostness, but it changes your heart in terms of how you see the offering plate, how you see your kids, your retirement, your clothes, your toys, your hobbies, your house, your car, everything that's a part of who you are as a human being. So here's what I did. When I, when I read those verses in Romans that says the love of God is poured out abundantly, generously in our hearts, I got to thinking. I asked myself, I wonder what Jesus said about the human heart. And so I went to the four Gospels and I read every verse where Jesus spoke about a person's heart. And I think someday in the future I'm going to do a whole sermon series on that. But this morning I want to focus on what Jesus said about the heart as it relates to money, the offering plate, and the stuff of life and the stuff that we spend our money on. And it's very interesting some of what he said. The first thing I want you to get is found in Luke 10 and it's this, that that he said we are to love God with all our heart. We are to love God With all of our heart, there's a a blank in your notes to fill in if you want to. But look at chapter 10 of Luke. And all the verses we're going to look at this morning are in Luke 10 where Jesus is talking about this stuff. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Notice what he said. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your what? With all your what? With all your heart. Now, how many of you have ever said to another person, I love you with all my heart? Anybody ever said that? Come on, be honest. You ever said that? I love you with all my heart. You ever said that? You know what you mean when you say that, don't you? Jesus said that's how you're to love God. Love God with all your heart. You see, having a relationship with Jesus Christ is about so much more than, and just, than, than just religion or ritual or going to church or following a bunch of rules. It's, it's a relationship. It's a heartfelt relationship. It's a love relationship. Jesus said we are to love God with all our heart. Why? Because that's how he loves us. And he showed that love by sending Jesus. Listen, when you love someone with all your heart, it impacts how you treat them. It impacts what you buy them. It impacts how you relate to them. Is that not true? Well, if you love God with all your heart, it's going to affect all those things. So let me ask you, what are you doing in your life that really demonstrates you love God with all your heart? And what are you doing with your money and your stuff, your resources, that reflect you love God with all your heart? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, but he didn't stop there. He said, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then your neighbor is yourself. That's what we talked about last Sunday, loving the people of this world. But loving God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, all of that. You know what he's saying? That we love God with our total person. Everything that's a part of who I am 
my love for God is to be expressed in that stuff. So that, that my love for God is to be expressed in all of this. My love for God affects all of this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. But there's another lesson. Jesus also teaches that we cannot love God and money the same way at the same time. We cannot love God and money the same way at the same time. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16. Again, all these verses will be in Luke, so just turn over there a few pages. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus said, no, no servant or no, no one, no person can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will do, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot love God and money. You can't love them both the same way at the same time. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. And one of the things that stands out when we study what Jesus said about the heart and about love of God and about money and about material things and about life and about stuff is that our attitude and our emotions say a lot about what we love. For instance, here's a $10 bill. I would have brought a larger bill, but uh, this is all I had in my wallet. I don't use cash much anymore with debit cards. Any of you kind of like that? So here's a $10 bill. Now think about this. You go to church, and the offering plate is passed. And if, if you're someone who's squeamish about money in church and money in religion... You're squeamish about offerings. You're squeamish about a preacher preaching on giving and all that kind of stuff. When the offering plate is passed at church, a $10 bill looks really big. But if you happen to be up here at Carowinds and you're hungry, a $10 bill looks really small, right? If you go to a to, to, to a U.K. game at Rupp Arena or down here in Columbia to, to a Gamecock game or over in Clemson to the Tigers and, and, and you, you have to pay for parking or you're in there and suddenly you're thirsty and you want some nachos, looks kind of small, right? Looks kind of small. But at church and the offering plate, looks big. How this looks to you, the emotions you feel, the thoughts that run through your mind speak volumes about what you love most. Jesus said you can't love both the same way at the same time. Some of us will spend money in a heartbeat on our kids, on our grandkids. Why? We love them. We love them. Some of us will spend money on new cars. Smells good. Looks good. We feel good. Some of us will spend money on our toys. Some of us will spend a lot of money on our clothing. This is harder. If it's the case, then it's what Jesus is talking about here. 
you'll love one and struggle with the other because you can't love them both the same way at the same time. Our emotions, our attitude, whatever it is that runs through our being when I'm talking about this stuff is revealing. Now there's something else I found when I read these verses. I learned that you and I spend our lives accumulating heavenly treasure. Spend our time on earth accumulating heavenly treasure. Chapter 12. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean we're not to save. I, I have a savings account. doesn't mean we're not to prepare for retirement. Monisa and I are preparing for retirement. doesn't mean we don't save money to buy stuff. We do that. And so, some of us, some of you in this room work very hard at those things. You're, you're working very hard at getting ready to retire. Very hard at saving up for your first house or saving up for another car, saving up for college, saving up for this. Saving. You're investing. You're working hard. You're saving. But what are you doing to have any treasure in heaven? To accumulate wealth in heaven. Toward God. Luke chapter 12, look at what Jesus says. And, and starting in verse 16, he tells a parable. He, he talks about a businessman who became very successful and prosperous, more income than he'd ever seen before and couldn't spend it all. So he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger barns, and store it up for the future. And then I can say to myself, hey, take it easy, eat, drink, be merry, have fun. You got it made. And Jesus said that man was a fool. Tonight he's going to die. And then who gets his stuff? What benefit does he have from his stuff? Jesus said in verse 21, a man who thinks like that has a problem. He said, verse 21, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What are you doing to be rich toward God? And then down at the end of that chapter, verse 34 Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, how many grandparents are in the room? Raise your hand. You're a grandparent. Right? Wave. Something special about grandkids, right? You love your kids. But grandkids, that's something different, Right? I, now, those grandparents in the room are all smiling because they know exactly what I'm talking about. Your grandkids, they wrap you around their finger more than your kids, right? You love them. Why? They got your heart. They have your heart. They're a treasure to you. And you invest in them in so many ways. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. What you treasure, what you value, what you love. The heart, the treasure, the heart, the treasure, the heart, the treasure, the heart, the treasure. In your notes, the words in Matthew 6, also on the screen, where Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. 
Store up instead treasures for yourself in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He's not telling us not to save and not to invest. But he is saying we are to work even harder at the treasures we have in heaven. The rewards that are going to be ours in heaven because of the way we've lived our life here on earth. The people who were once lost but are now saved and they will be in heaven because we invested. Those are treasures. Now there's some biblical lessons for us. I want you to jot these down. Just real quickly from these verses, some biblical lessons. Here's the first one. Our treasure reveals our heart. That's what I've been saying the whole time. Our treasure reveals our heart. What we value, where we put our money and our resources, whether that's time or whatever it is, that reveals what we love. Now, I love my kids. And even though they're both married, we're still investing in both of their lives, financially and otherwise in different ways. Not to the extent we once did, They're a treasure. But because we love God, that means that sometimes we say no. For instance, we said to our kids when they were young, study hard, make good grades, and get scholarships. Go to an in-state public school. If you go to a private school, they better give you a lot of money. If you go out of state, you better get a lot of money because this is how much we're paying and we're not paying more. Some people will spend the rest of their lives digging out of debt because they can't say no to their kids because this is what they love more than anything and everything else. Now, I'm not saying the way you do it is wrong or right or the way I did it is wrong or right, but loving God impacts how you do some of this stuff because this isn't the only thing we love. And knowing what you love helps you make good decisions reveals our heart we're still going to invest by the way some of these props when my little grandson gets here in four weeks he gets some of these toys and some others that I will buy between now and then another print another lesson what we do and say is connected to our heart What we do and what we say is connected to our heart. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, notice what Jesus said. He said, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. The evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which is, notice, which fills his heart. See, if you watch somebody long enough and you listen to somebody long enough, you'll find out what they really value in their heart, what they love, who they really are. Now, you have to watch them for a a period of time and listen to them for a period of time because anybody can fake it for a little while. But Jesus tells us that eventually what is in here gets out. And so what we do and what we say in relation to all this stuff and in relation to this, what we do and what we say eventually reveals what is really in here.
There's a connection between our heart and our behavior and our words. Another lesson, we're to use our resources for kingdom purposes. That banner on the back wall says resource investment, that we're to take everything that's a part of our life and invest it for the kingdom of God, invest it for higher purposes. Now, as I wrap this up, I want to give you some principles for daily living, some practical application of of this teaching to your life. One is moderation. Moderation. When I talked about saying to our kids, I'm not paying $50,000 a year or whatever it is so you can go to Duke. I I don't care. I'm not doing that. That's moderation. Now, some of you, you can do that. You've got to, moderation in my life, listen to me. Moderation in my life will look very different than it does in your life. Moderation in your life will look different than it does in my life. But you have to find those areas where you demonstrate moderation because of how you look at your whole life. Moderation is in this. I shared this with you a few months ago, but my wife kept me from making a terrible decision when I was, I was driving in a 1995 Buick and I was looking for another car and I found this really, 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 really nice car. Expensive car. And I was getting a great deal. This thing was loaded. had more bells and whistles than any car I'd ever driven in my life. And I wanted it. I wanted it. But I also found another car that was a really good car and a really nice car. But it was going to cost about $13,000 less than I was going to pay on this great deal on this really, 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 really nice car. And I still remember my beautiful wife coming down from the bedroom one evening and she'd been praying about it and she got spiritual on me and told me that she didn't think God wanted us to buy that really, really, really nice car. Well, I knew she was right, but I didn't like it. And the thing is, we could have easily afforded the payments on the really, 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 really nice car. But being able to afford the payments doesn't mean it's what I really, 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 really should do. And because I listen to her and God, I still have a twinge of pain every now and then. But because I listen, we now have more money every month than we would have had if I had done just what I wanted and even could have afforded. Moderation. Because when you love the Lord and you want to... See, I want to be able to give and give generously. We want to support charities and ministries in this community. We we want to, to do things that make a difference. Well, I can't do those things if these other things that I love, I love them so much, there's no place for love of God and doing the will of God in my life. We said some people are house poor. Some of us in this room are so life poor, so stuff poor, we can't do anything that has eternal significance. Is this making sense? Another principle, generosity and charity. 
generosity and charity. Being a generous person. Charity. Giving not only to the church, but to charities that help people. Research was done in uh, just a few years ago, a national research project. And it found that the most generous people in America, those who give the highest percentage of their income to churches and charity, are evangelical Christians. In other words, people like us, conservative Christians, give a higher percent of their income to charity than any other group in America. 24% of evangelicals give at least 10% of their income to churches and charity. At least 10%. 24% of conservative evangelical Christians give that much or more. Do you know which groups in America give the least to charity? Not just in dollars, but I'm talking about percentage of their income. People under the age of 25. Well, we kind of get that. Atheists, agnostics, and liberals. The three groups that give the least percentage of their income to charity in America. If you take Bible-believing Christians out of the equation, many of the charities in local communities would have to cut back dramatically on the services they provide. See, why is it that conservative, Bible-believing, evangelical Christians give more than any other group in America? Why? It's this God thing. It's this God thing. He's got our hearts. And God loves this world and God sacrifices and God gave His Son. And we, because we love Him, we bless people. We give. We care. It's natural. It's an act of love. Generosity and charity. Another principle for daily living. Tithing. Tithing is the biblical teaching that we give 10% of our income to the Lord's work at the local church. Storehouse tithing. Now listen, the tithe is not mine, it's God's. I don't designate any of the tithe because it's not mine to designate. It all belongs to God. It all comes to the storehouse. It all comes to the church, for the ministries of this church. Tithing. Now, even though conservative Christians are the most generous group in America, notice, Only 24% of evangelicals tithe. That means that at least three out of four in this room, in a conservative Bible-believing church, three out of four in this room don't even come close to giving at least 10%. And what we say and what we do is connected to the heart, all this stuff, and this. And Jesus said you can't love both the same way at the same time. You're going to love one more. Here's the catch. When you love God more, it's amazing how much more you love these, especially these. But when these run your life, God almost always gets left out. When God runs your life, these never get left out. Offerings is another principle. Offerings. Offerings is what we give, whether to the church or to charities beyond the tithe. Remember, I said the tithe is God's. I don't designate it. So Monisa and I support different groups in this community. I've got ones that I like to give to. She's got ones that she likes to give to. We have some we both like to give to. 
We give to the mission offerings of this church generously. The building fund, paying for this campus and so on. But those are offerings that are beyond the tithe because the tithe is not mine to say I want to give the tithe to this. Those are offerings. This stage, for instance, I mentioned a moment ago, being paid for with an estate gift and extra gifts. And then, uh, by the way, next month, this uh, May, we're going to spend the whole month giving you an opportunity to make a commitment for the next year to, to, to make a commitment to give to our building fund so we can continue paying for our campus. You'll hear more about that starting next week. But the last principle is ki- a kingdom legacy. A kingdom legacy. Now, when, when I die, what's going to be my legacy? I want it to be more than just this stuff. We built the house we live in. But a day will come in the future, I don't know when, but a day will come when our house on Glasscock Road will be old and in various form of disrepair, right? Every house in this community, listen, every house in Rock Hill, every house in Fort Mill, every house in Chester, every house in Clover, every house in York, every house in Charlotte, every house in Tegucay, every house anywhere that today looks old and needs work was at one point in time brand new and shiny. Every house in the world that is today brand new and shiny will at some point in the future be old and need work. My 95 Buick that I just sold two months ago, when we bought it in 1995, was new and shiny and the nicest car we'd ever bought. When I sold it, It smelled bad. <laughs> and I didn't push the, 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 the accelerator, the gas pedal, all the way to the floor because I was afraid the motor would blow up. Right? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? See, the, the stuff down here, it's not eternal, but the stuff up there is. And listen, when someone comes to Christ, when someone is saved, when their life's turned around because we invest in the kingdom of God and His ministry, that reward will last forever, and they're going to be in heaven saying thank you. By the way, parents, do you know that within two years, every dime you give your kids will be spent if yours are the average kid's? Did did you hear that? Now, our kids are in our will. But eternal legacy, a kingdom legacy, means that if we die, this church will be blessed after we're dead. The International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention will be blessed after we're dead. We give while we're alive, we're going to give when we're dead. And it won't be just to our kids and grandkids. A kingdom legacy. Why? What is all this heart stuff? Jesus got my heart when I got saved. 
And it's so much more than just about going to heaven. He shapes our lives. Callie fell in love with Muhammad. Fed head over heels for him. He was from Egypt. She was from Pennsylvania. He was a Muslim. She wasn't. But they were in love. They got married, had a baby boy, named him Nico. Not long after Nico was born, Mohammed left Cali and started having affairs with numerous women. After different attempts at reconciliation, they eventually divorced and Mohammed moved back to Egypt where he was from. He kept asking Callie to bring Nico and visit his family in Egypt, and she kept saying no. He insisted, and she kept saying no. And finally he said, I, I want my, my mother to meet her grandson at least once before she dies. She's sick, and she's dying. I want her to be able to meet him at least once. And Callie gave in, and she, along with her sister, and Nico traveled to Egypt so this little boy could see his grandmother for the first time and the only time before she died. The second day they were there, it was in the evening, they were in a car on a desolate road when Callie and her sister were pushed out and abandoned on the side of the road in the hot, humid air. As Mohammed, with a driver, drove off kidnapping their son. In the divorce, she had gotten custody. But he wanted them in Egypt to raise him as as, as a radical Muslim. And she said the last thing she saw was a little boy banging on the back window of the car screaming for her. She searched. She couldn't find them. The Egyptian government was of absolutely no help. She made several trips to to Egypt looking for a boy and she she spent every dime she had. She borrowed money from family and relatives and and, and she was now over $100,000 gone looking for a boy. Her fourth and final trip to Egypt was this past October. Her sister went with her. And again, no trace. Couldn't find them anywhere. Things were getting dangerous, and so her sister returned to the States, tried to convince Callie to come back with her. Relatives here tried to convince her to come back. It wasn't safe. And she said, no, I'm not leaving until I find my boy. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm not leaving. That was October. And she finally got a break. She discovered the address where her son and ex-husband were living. Callie began dressing in traditional Muslim clothing. She followed her son and ex-husband, learning their habits and routines, sometimes getting so close she could almost reach out and touch them. And then early one morning, with the help of another man, she went to Nico's school. And she was wearing that Muslim clothing, the, the burqa, the, the only place her body was exposed is that little slit for her eyes. And she stood there patiently waiting. 
until she finally saw her son, Nico, step off the school bus. She quickly moved forward, grabbed him by the arm, turned his body and said, get in. And without saying a word, he obeyed because he looked through that opening and saw her beautiful blue eyes and knew it was his mother. They got into the waiting transportation and took off. She dressed him in girls' clothing, got him to a safe house. And over the next couple of weeks, the U.S. Embassy in Cairo helped them get home where they now are safe and happy. Nico, Nico later said, when he saw his mom's blue eyes, he said, I thought to myself, thank God. I'm going to finally get out of here. I'm going to be free. The power of a mother's love. The sacrifice love will make. The risk that love will endure. We do a lot for our kids and grandkids. Why? They have our heart. We do a lot for Big Blue or the Gamecocks or NASCAR or whatever, whatever else it is we love, right? Do a lot. You ever said, I love my car? I love my truck? I love my boat? I love that new piece of furniture. I love that new bedroom suit. I love that new suit. I love those new shoes. How do you feel about this? It says something about how you feel about God. And how you feel about God affects how you handle this. These make life beautiful. But when you love God, you'll take care of these even better. And teach them some more important lessons. Why, why, why do we give? We love Him. And that's why it's not hard. Because when you love, giving's what you do. Isn't it? If you want to know why we give, plain and simple. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Does God have your heart? Let's stand. Pastors will be here at the front. And I'm asking you to make your way to the front and respond to whatever God's saying to you. To kneel here and pray. 
join this church to give your life to Christ. Maybe to pray about your stuff. To pray about your heart and your stuff. So let's sing together. And you come right now while we sing. Come on, quickly.